Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. Today we hear from St. Mark about the healing of a man who is deaf and mute. St. Mark's Gospel is the shortest of the four Gospels, and yet, ironically, it frequently preserves additional details about stories and parables, even if they are contained in one or more of the other Gospels. And even though it's the shortest, sometimes St. Mark is the only one to tell the story, and that's the case here. Although St. Matthew tells us that Jesus healed those who were lame, blind, mute, and maimed during his ministry, only St. Mark tells us about the miracle of the deaf mute. First, we hear this occurs in the region of the Decapolis, which means 10 cities in Greek. The Decapolis region was the center of Greek and Roman culture in an area that was otherwise dominated by ancient Semitic cultures like the Jews. It was a very cosmopolitan place, and it's very likely that Jesus here is healing a Gentile. Next, we know that this man was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. To me, I do not see these as two separate problems, but rather, I believe it tells us that this man was deaf from birth or from very early age. As I'm sure you all know, hearing loss causes difficulties with expressive language development. People who are deaf cannot hear others or even their own voice. And we take for granted how much we self-regulate, adjust what we say to hearing ourselves talk. So like the man born blind, who Jesus heals, I believe that this healing represents a man born deaf. In both instances, the healing of the deaf and the blind man show us that God created us to be sensual beings. I use the word sensual here merely as the adjective form of sensory for our senses, not for the indulgence or gratification of or devotion to those senses. But it's important to know that God created us with our senses of sight, hearing, smell, touch, and taste. And in this miracle, he restores one of those senses. And we see a clear confirmation of this because God himself restores both the blind man and the deaf man's senses fully. To be as we were created to be, those senses are supposed to be working, acting rightly and in balance. We should be using our senses to bring us closer to God and to experience his good creation, to see where it's not right, and then take action to restore it to order. Some may even think this deaf man had it good. How often have you failed to guard your ears and let detrimental gossip come into them that you could not wait to spread to others? How often have you heard something that did not edify your soul on the news? How often have you let music you listen to fill you with thoughts that led you to sin rather than to a closer relationship with your God? Likewise, how have you allowed your eyes to pollute your soul or used your mouth to hurt your neighbor? Maybe being deaf, mute, and blind wouldn't be so bad after all. Then we could be holier, right? That's wrong. First, let me say the church throughout the ages has strongly condemned such thinking. The church firmly believes that Jesus' words, such as those in Matthew 5.29, where he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell, are a rhetorical device, 
hyperbole, to show us the seriousness of sin rather than a command. Self-mutilation is contrary to what it means to be truly and fully human. And the church condemns self-mutilation because we are capable of overcoming sin while being whole. And even in the case of Jesus' hyperbole, anyone knows that just cutting out your eye will not prevent you from falling into lustful sins. Second, you also know that people who are in sensory deprivation for long periods of time have negative experiences. In fact, various techniques of sensory deprivation are used as torture. In fact, here in the story, we hear that Jesus sighs deeply, or even groans, depending on the way you want to translate. This groan is for the deep disorder that this man's condition represents, a sign of the devil's temporary control in this world. That said, many of us could use more silence, more isolation, more time to build our senses to listen to the quiet voice of God. And finally, in the story, we see that Jesus uses physical matter and touch to bring about his healing. He doesn't just think about it or pray about it. He engages us with his creation and our senses. God loves all his good creation. It was put here for man to steward and enjoy. Indeed, God's creation is here for our salvation. And the church recognizes that. You see us use physical matter to heal and save in many ways, from the holy water to the oils to the icons. In fact, this parable, you hear one very important church service that many of us have been a part of. Which one is that? The baptism and confirmation services. In them, right after the exorcisms, the priest takes his thumb with the saliva of his mouth and touches the ears and nostrils of the candidate. While touching his or her right and left ears, he says separately to each, Ephrata, that is, be opened. And then touching the nostrils, saying, For an odor of sweetness, and thou devil, flee away for the judgment of God draws nigh. Let us recall that moment when we took part in that miracle that happened right here in this church. So here we learn what the story means for us and our situation. Did we recognize our deafness when we came to church today? Are we listening to God? Beyond our initiation and illumination, the church provides many opportunities for us to open our ears and our mouths to the glory of God. However, we all know it's too easy to use our eyes, ears, mouths, bodies for sin rather than for praising God and being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Instead of plucking our eyes out, we need to take them somewhere where they will be filled with the right images. Instead of being deaf and mute, we need to temporarily open our ears to the right things. We need to shut our mouths and listen to God. Then not only will our physical senses be opened and used rightly, but our spiritual ones. One of our best opportunities for that happens right here when we come to church. We need to leave our worldly cares at the door and stop mentally checking on everything that's going out there. Perhaps like I do sometimes, I might be spending more time wondering where we're going for lunch rather than going to, to think about and worshiping and engaging with our Creator. As Anthony Bloom's book said, in Beginning to Pray says, if you look at the relationship, that is our relationship with God, in terms of a mutual relationship, you will see that God could complain about us a great deal more than we could complain about him. We complain that he doesn't make himself present to us for the few minutes we've reserved for him. 
But what about the 23 and a half hours during which God may be knocking at our door and we answer, I'm busy, I'm sorry. Or when we do not answer at all because we don't even hear the knock at the door of our heart, of our minds, of our conscience, of our life. So there is a situation in which we have no right to complain about the absence of God because we are a great deal more absent than he ever is. End of the quote. So how many people here are not even taking the hour, though, to be present with God in our world? You're here because you know it's good for you. There's a reason you came this morning rather than hit the snooze button. We're here to worship God, engage fully with him for just about an hour. And let's put our focus on that prayer and worship and forget about our problems. They'll be there when we walk out that door. But by drawing closer to God in this hour, we'll be better equipped to tackle them because we'll be putting on the armor of righteousness. We also see that the church is doing everything to help you with this by engaging all of your senses at church. The sound of music, the smell of incense, the taste of bread and wine, the visual beauty of the icons, investments, the touch of the sign of the cross. In church, your senses are fully engaged so that they will hopefully not distract you as you engage with God here for this all too brief period every week. We are miraculously transformed every week that we come to this place to worship, just as we participated in that miracle when Father Michael touched our ears and nostrils and said to each of us, Ephrata, that is, be opened. So what will we do with that miracle? Jesus told us that the man he healed and those who witnessed it to be quiet about it, but they didn't. In fact, the more he told them to keep quiet about it, the more they proclaimed it. How about us? No one told us to be quiet about it. Yet how many of us are not sharing our part in the very mystery we hear about today? Last year I shared my, my sermon with you on this passage. And as the case this year, I just came back from the St. Stephen's course where I spent an intense week learning about our faith and fellowshipping with Orthodox people from around the world. And last year as this year, I learned that many face the same struggles our church does. They two face scandals or declining and stable, often very small membership. No deacons or priests on a regular basis. But they're committed to surviving just as we are, and none of them have the advantages we have. That's to be situated in one of the largest cities in the U.S. So what are we going to do? Well, last year I shared a post with you from Father Andrew Stephen Damick that he, that he was talking about the most effective outreach strategy for churches. He made a note from Peter Wagner's Church Growth, the State of the Art, that 2% come because of advertising, 6% because of evangelistic outreach, 6% come as a result of the work of the pastor, but the remaining 86% were brought by a friend or relative. Furthermore, he quotes statistics from backtochurch.com. Did you know that 82% of the unchurched, the unchurched, the nuns, say that they would come if invited? Did you know that only 2% of church members, though, invite someone to church in a given year? And did you know that 70% of the unchurched have never been invited in their entire lives? I don't know how many of you followed my advice last year that came from Father Damick, and here I'm going to quote him. Think of at least one person you know who isn't in church. Make him or her a spiritual priority this year. Pray every day for that person, and when the time is right, give the invitation. Statistically speaking, they're probably going to say yes. When you make the invitation, don't say, you should come to church with me sometime. Sometime is no time. 
Say, we're celebrating the Divine Liturgy this Sunday at 10 o'clock at my church. Can I pick you up and bring you with me? I know that one of my friends did exactly that many years ago. And it was a big part of getting me back to church and putting me on the path that puts me here today. And I know that I have not done all that I could in the last year to make good on following Father Damick's advice, even though I know it works, because it worked for me. And even if you have invited people to church in the last year, it's time to do it again. So let's think of one person we'd like to invite to church this week. Maybe it's one of your own family members. You'll see over barbecue tomorrow. Perhaps it's a friend. Maybe it's someone who used to sit next to you in these very pews. Perhaps it's someone you haven't even met yet. But if our ears have been opened, so that we can hear the true faith, see the true light, and receive the heavenly spirit, we need to share it. How could we keep it inside? How could we listen to Jesus tell us to, to not share this amazing story of the good news of the gospel? And obviously inviting people isn't the only thing we can do as a parish. We have lots of work to do, and we need everybody's help and energy. I believe a lot is going to happen in the next year. I found people when I was up at St. Stephen's who want to help us in any way they can, but we need your help too. And for some of you, it may just be showing up. For others, it may mean finding a way to serve in some small way or some bigger way. Jesus conquered the world starting with just his small band of 12 people. And if nothing else, we all have to continue to work to make church, our Christian faith, the center of our lives. Nothing else is more important to us because this is where we find restoration, healing of our bodies, spirits, and souls to eternal life. And when we're living as Christians apart from this world, we'll speak to our neighbors in ways we can only begin to imagine. It will, as it did in the early church, bring flocks of people to our doors. For there is no question that people will want to share in our joy, our hope, and our peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.